Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. I'm feeling better. How about you? <laughs> well, I'm back from my trip, so that uh, is very helpful. And um, we, you were talking a little bit about something we've, we've mentioned on the podcast before many times, which is Theory X and Theory Y. And you told me that sort of you've been reflecting on some past uh, encounters and realized that there's a, a variation of Theory X that you hadn't picked up on previously. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, first, I guess I better start by explaining what Theory X and Theory Y are. So we'll be have the links in the show notes like we always do. Theory X roughly says that the people in your organization are fundamentally kind of cogs in the machine. They need direction. They need very precise information. The direction comes from the top. And what we need to do is make sure they're all coordinated and working together in common direction. And that, that direction comes from somewhere, someone else usually at the top of the organization. Theory Y says, uh, well, people are pretty motivated by themselves. They, they can figure things out. What we need to do is make sure they're aligned and headed the correct direction. And if you've listened to us ever before, if this isn't your first time on this podcast, you'll recognize that both Jeffrey and I are fairly strong Theory Y proponents. But that doesn't mean that Theory X doesn't work. It just means that if you're going to adopt Agile, it a lot of the principles are about things that have to do with empowering the team and experimenting and learning from your mistakes and having your team do all those things and not necessarily direction from the top. So what I've been reflecting on is that I, of course, run into clients all the time in my consulting practice, and some of them are Theory X proponents and some of them are Theory Y. And I had a very simple theory of, of Theory X and Theory Y, which was that if you were Theory X, then you were probably pretty close to uh, Je Jeffrey, I don't know if you remember this, but in uh, in Spider Man, there's the uh, there's the boss, uh, Mr. Jameson, and at least as he's portrayed in the movies, he's always shouting at people. He kind of fires Spider Man at least five times a, an episode. He's very directive. He says, "Take these photos. No, don't do that. Do this other thing." He's got this kind of classic theory X point of view about him being the source of all truth and knowledge and directing other people in how to behave. And I've actually had some clients who are like that. And that's challenging for me if I'm trying to help them adopt agile principles, because as I say, they're, they're, they're not necessarily perfectly aligned. Certainly that model has not usually worked out very well for me. You develop antibodies then against the J. Jonah Jameson types. Exactly. And in, in particular, uh, I tend not to accept clients like that today. If, if that's working for them, that's great, but I'm probably not going to help them improve because I'm not going to help them move further that direction. And of course, I have clients who are interested in theory why who have that theory but may not be able to apply it very well and then then I tend to work very well with those but there's this other group and as I was reflecting on I was trying to figure out where this group fell and I, I really think they are actually theory X proponents but their organizations are very productive the bugle in spider-man is is not that productive an organization right <laughs> they're kind of running around frantically trying to catch spider-man and he's right there in their organization they never figure it out but some theory x organizations are super productive and in fact also have a lot of trust so they're the person who's giving the direction is not actually a jameson type he's not the sort of person who says do this do the other thing i'm going to fire you that that kind of thing it's someone who says, look, I have the best way of approaching this. I know what to do. Your job is to bring me all the right information and to organize it well, and I'm going to hold you to account for that, and, and I'll do that in a very trustful, trustful and, and respectful way, and I want you to bring me all the information so I can decide because I know best. And those organizations are sometimes very successful. 
and there are examples everybody will know, like Apple and Bloomberg, in which there were very clear hierarchies, and those companies are pretty darn valuable. And I have had some clients who, who function that way. And I was really interested to, to think more with you, Jeffrey, about how it is that Theory X organizations can work that way. And if they work that way, what can we do as agile proponents to help them out? So I, I think what we're talking about here is you've noticed that there's these organizations that have really centralized decision making, and therefore they have some attributes of, of Theory X. Is, is that right? This is the example. You come across the founder who uh, is the, the central decision maker. Yep. Well, I've come across those as well. <laughs> and it's definitely true that they don't fit the sort of necessarily the Taylorist view um, that is in Theory X about people's abilities, but also their motivation, right? I would say that, that exactly. workers are, are lazy and unmotivated, and therefore you need a professional manager class looking over them. If buggy whips are available, you should use those. You know, that's, that's the Theory X <laughs> notion, pure, pure and simple. But these ones don't match that because they, they are really, really respectful. They believe in their people. They just think the job of the people is to help them make the decisions. That's right. Yeah. So they recognize people have skills and have attributes that are valuable and, and maybe even talents and, and can do things that, that they as the manager couldn't do, but it's fundamentally their uh, job to make the decision. And the question then is sort of, well, how do we help these people? Is that the sort of the, the question of how do we um, help these people see that there's a, a way that they can improve? Well, and I'm not actually sure they necessarily need to improve, or at least not in the way I might do it. So if you put me in charge of the company, I would very naturally act in accordance with Theory Y because I, I hold Theory Y. But their company's quite successful using Theory X. You know, if I marched into Apple in the heyday of Steve Jobs, um, you know, I might not have helped them figure out how to build the iPhone because there were some things that they were doing that were very Theory X-ish that were helping them figure out to build the iPhone, as far as I can tell. So I'm interested in helping them improve, but in a way that's consistent with what they're doing, not necessarily moving them toward my way of doing things. And I think there's a couple models we can discuss about change and improvement. And I think there, there's enough to them that we'll do them over two podcasts. So this is the, the first part of a, a series, then we'll, we'll talk about these two different models of change. Today will be a tale of two models, part one, where we will talk about the uncanny valley model. And we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, an article that I uh, really enjoyed when it came out. And it's something I've referred back to. Uh, several times in various talks and slides and whatnot. And that's an article called The Uncanny Valley of a Functional Organization. And um, what they mean here is not functional versus dysfunctional, but rather if you have a, an organization that's aligned functionally or by business units. So in development, we might think about back end and front end or product by product. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, and more, this is this is functional in terms of generally like your development organization versus your product organization versus your marketing organization. So sort of high level functions, uh, which in startups, you'll naturally be aligned this way because you're, you're probably all building the same product. To be a, a large multinational with many different products, it's typical that these business lines have their own development teams. They have their own functional uh, inside of them. So it's like having many different businesses all under one umbrella, but with being managed by their own P&L, their own profit and loss. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's sort of the business model organization. And the contrast with that is is the functional organization where you keep those separations and you have your uh, development team working across development on all the business lines and and similarly marketing and so on. And, and the, the point about this 
article makes. It says that there's some real advantages from having a functional organization if you can manage to do it, but it's really, really hard. And it's so hard, in fact, that he makes an analogy with this idea of the uncanny valley. I know about that from robotics or, or um, animation. If you make a computer-generated person or a, a, a robot who looks close to but not quite like a human <laughs> being, then it's actually really creepy. Yeah. Whereas if you make just a stuffed animal who happens to talk, that's not very disturbing. That, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And so the Uncanny Valley has to do with this idea that when you go from something that's very, very simple, very non-human, so something like a just industrial robot or you're, you're doing something that maybe looks like a cartoon if you're animating, people kind of look at it and go, oh, that's interesting. If you make it more and more realistic, people like it more and more and more until you cross over this area where suddenly it gets creepy. And if you get good enough, you can come out the other side and, and you can have things that look really awesome. And people are like, that's that's amazing. So maybe you get sort of Lord of the Rings type CGI effects and you get Gollum, you know, this computer generated character and it just, but it looks so realistic that people are immersed in it. But if you get a little bit uh, short of that, you end up with the Polar Express effect, which was a animated movie where it was, you know, very good graphics for the day, but they definitely landed in that sort of more creepy than awesome <laughs> zone. Makes sense. So, so how's that relate to either theory X and theory Y or functional versus business unit? The, uh, the, the analogy then that, uh, Ben Thompson introduces is he says, well, I think it's this idea that there's many areas where uh, something that is almost perfect, but not quite, is actually worse than doing something that's good enough. And uh, he actually uses this in terms of having top-down decision-making versus true collaboration, because that's what a functional organization requires, is true collaboration. And the, the top-down decision-making of a business organization, business alignment, usually is is good enough. And I think that's very similar to what I hear you describe in these organizations that are with a centralized decision-making, with a, a good decision-maker who trusts his people to provide him good information, do good work, you can end up with a pretty good result. Maybe that's good enough. Whereas to try to get to something like the ideal, where you know what, well, what if it wasn't just the, the, the founder CEO making all the decisions, but you could actually get everyone engaged and everyone making good judgments everywhere. Uh, well, that might, that would be ideal, but maybe it's not possible. Maybe the, the, the chasm between here and there and this, this, this valley will fall into, which in the, the article Ben Thompson describes, you'll fall into either conflict, unproductive conflict or groupthink. So either everyone will just nod their heads and go along with the first thing someone says, or they'll spend all their time in trench warfare fighting one another and, and things will grind to a halt. And that's exactly what I hear from these kind of productive theory X organizations when I come into them, because I'll say things like, yeah, well, the first thing we're going to do, I'm, I'm very naive sometimes, I come in and say, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to empower the team and they're going to try 20 different experiments and 19 of them are going to fail. <laughs> and they go, that sounds like the worst thing ever, Squirrel. You know, why, why are we paying you to come and tell us this awful idea? Because what we want is predictability. We want, uh, we don't want people arguing all over the place, you know, we don't want them headed off in some crazy direction that makes sense to them. What we want is for, for them to bring us this good information and for us to make good decisions and for them to execute. So why can't you help them do that? And that's where I've been stuck for a while, but I think, I think you're helping me get to some, some good outcomes, some good things I can try. And, and, and the idea here being is that it's not necessary for everyone to cross that valley. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is that I've actually used this model, the Uncanny Valley, as a way of places where I have introduced change. And I've used it to frame the importance of everyone being on board and also to set expectations that things are going to be hard. So it's it's not a model that says improvement is impossible or will we'll never cross over. But I, th- one of the things I got from Amy Edmondson in her teaming book was that it's important for leaders creating a psychologically safe environment when you're taking on new things is to frame it as a collective challenge. And this this model of the uncanny valley where we have to cross over and that we they have these perils in front of us, uh, it has been useful for people to get a picture of, yep, we're going to be changing things and it's going to be be harder. Now, the one thing about this, this model, so I, I have found it useful, but it does have a limitation. What's that? A, a bit like what you've just described, where it feels like it's an all or nothing sort of thing. Well, we're going to move from this idea of the centralized decision making. So no, we're going to distribute power everywhere and everyone will making decisions. We'll have collective collaboration out there and, and good things will happen. And you just need trust and faith and time. Mm-hmm. The uncanny valley model tends to get us into this idea we're one side or the other. And you're really only in one of two camps. If we're going to try to get the benefits of the other side, well, then we're going to have to go all in. And I think that can be a real obstacle. Yep, because it's not actually true. And one very simple example is that there's the kind of extreme theory X we talked about at the beginning, and there's the organizations that I see that are kind of effective theory X, and there's probably more in between. There's not this um, black and white zero and one theory Y and theory X notion. Yes, exactly. And I think with the, this mental model of the Uncanny Valley, it, it can be useful, but can also be inhibiting. And especially if you're that person who's the top-down decision maker who has things working pretty well, the question is, well, why would I take the risk? <laughs> what we have is working pretty well. Why would I take the risk of trying to go on this you know, mass journey to get us all to the other side when actually things are pretty good? Mm-hmm. I think that's something we wanted to cover in the next episode. Is that right, Jeffrey? Well, that, that's exactly it. I think what we're going to come back for next time is say, this uncanny valley model exists and it can be a very useful model and it can help understand both how uh, you can have a sort of ideal that you you have in mind, but at the same time, maybe what you have is good enough. You can actually you know, have elements that aren't perfect, but you get to sort of a good enough place and uh, that that can be very helpful, I think, for people who are trying to introduce change to realize that sometimes good enough is is just that. We'll introduce in this uh, next episode is a different model of change. And rather than looking at things as just sort of this two-peak model, either your pre-Uncanny Valley or your post-Uncanny Valley, or I suppose you, the third option is you're stuck down in the in the terrible trench of the valley. Look like a zombie rather than a uh, cute uh, puppy dog. That's right. So rather than, um, than an independent sort of a zombie org that's uh, not functioning well, uh, we're going to use a, a different model, which is the Virginia Satir change model. And uh, we'll talk about how we can use that to productively move forward. Sounds good. So if you want to do some homework, have a look at the Satir curve, and we'll be talking a lot more about that in next week's episode. As well, we'd love to hear from you if you're in a Theory X organization or a Theory Y one, or maybe an XY or a YX. Uh, We'd be interested in whatever you're experiencing and, and if any of this is 
meaningful to you or if you have stories or questions uh, about any of these topics. You can always find us on troubleshootingagile.com. There's links to Twitter and email and all the other ways you can find us, and we're very interested in, in hearing from listeners. Of course, we always like it when listeners click the subscribe button and come back. If you don't want to miss part two, that would be a, a great way to make sure that uh, next Wednesday you're getting to listen to us talk about this topic again. Okay, great. Thanks, Jeffrey. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Carl.